We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Today is Saturday, September 19th, and welcome to The Truth Perspective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and with me in the studio today are Sot.net editors Shane LeChance. Hi, everybody. Karen Nicholson. Hi. And Meg McDonald. Hello. As we cover the news from around the world today, we will be giving emphasis on the value of how we feel about these events, what we really think about these stories, and what it means to give expression to these personal thoughts and feelings. More specifically, we will be looking at the mode of communication, otherwise known as the rant. To this end, we are inviting you to call in and rant in as purposeful but liberating a way as possible. Of course, we're always happy to receive callers on the show, but this week we'd really like to hear from you and open up the show to discuss the things that you would like to give voice to, but that are also ideally related to the topics that we discuss here. We have to know that it's all right to feel saddened, outraged, shocked, and horrified at the many things we are seeing and hearing happening during these times. These feelings, after all, are what make us human. Transmuting these feelings into constructive communication that doesn't sanitize or disembowel the human part of communication would seem to be what makes the ideal rant. But also, some level of control of ourselves and what we're saying would be uh, ideal as well, I think. One dictionary defines rant as to 
speak or shout at length in a wild, impassioned way, i.e., she was still ranting on about the unfairness of it all. Some synonyms of rant are to fulminate, to go on, to hold forth, vociferate, sound off, spout, pontificate, bluster, declaim, to go into a tirade, a diatribe, a broadside. So some of the connotations attributed to ranting are potentially destructive. They suggest that a person who rants may be running on purely emotional energy. And we know that someone could, could go on a rant, sound articulate, even charismatic, but also communicate ideas that are illogical, irrational, and based on assumptions and false data. These types of rants have the potential to lead people astray towards destructive ends. Andrew Lobachowski, the author of Political Panorology, would call the people who engage in these types of rants spellbinders. On the other side, and the side that we're interested in today, we will look at constructive ranting or ranting for truth. This is where we as individuals imbue our communication with information that is not only as factually correct and objective as possible, but is shared with others in a way that conveys some emotional and psychological reality. Righteous indignation at the lies, manipulation, and injustices we're seeing. Empathy for the victims and the suffering they are experiencing at the hands of psychopaths. So we just heard a segment from the satirical 1976 film Network, directed by Sidney Lumet and written by Patty Shayevsky. The mad as hell rant is not only what the film is best known for, but probably one of the most famous screen rants in history. A few of the articles posted to Saad have also included the video clip as a comment to the upsetting information that were being shared there. The Peter Finch character who gives the rant in the film that we just heard says a couple of interesting things. Uh, his message seems to be that some outrage and anger is required in order to do or say what needs to be said in the context of a truthful rant or ranting for truth. And I agree. But we've been so conditioned to not have any kind of emotional response to anything that this seems like a forgotten part of ourselves. So what do you guys think? Well, the uh, I think the Howard Beale character in Network, you know, he really he really reaches out uh, to the audience there, and you know what makes that scene so remarkable is that you know typically when we're watching the news, it is so sanitized and and dumbed down, and you know there's this unemotional gloss, this uh, glassy-eyed you know type effect where there is no real uh, humanity being communicated, um, you know, in, in the message of, of the news. It's just, um, yeah, just a sanitized version. And, you know, I, and it, it, it leaves no room for, where, where's the outrage for over these things, right? I mean, why do news uh, agencies, you know, it's not, I think, you know, objectivity is, is being equated with this. And that's not necessarily objectivity. Like objectivity uh, can utilize the emotions uh, when there is also, you know, when you do have the uh, intellectual um, center moving and, you know, you have the knowledge base of what's going on and and you use the emotional center for a driver, um, you know, to, to further uh, investigate and to under, really understand what's going on in our world. 
And when things are just you know completely emotionally shut down, uh, and that's I think you know the the pretty much the norm, not just in news agencies, but you know all across the board for uh, all of humanity. Um, you know our emotions are just you know cut off. So uh, the scene where Howard Beale is just at mad as hell, you know it's it, it really it really comes you know it really touches you because. You know that that's how we should be feeling about what's going on in the world. Well, I think there's a there's a number of reasons why we might want to rant. Um, we want to rant when something's out of balance, and you know, as we understand it, but it's but it's out of balance. Um, we're all kind of looking for an edge, but we're really wary of falling off an edge. So. Um, we see something coming, and and we know it's wrong. Um, we rant because it's a quantification of rational rationalism, uh, and it becomes predicated on uh, somewhat of a, a contradiction of human nature, uh, a, a reason, a hypocrisy. Uh, I think we also accept subjective experiences until we see mistakes or we see a contradiction and then, you know, that we typically feel kind of trapped. Um, we know something has changed uh, and, or, you know, maybe it's just our awareness has kicked up to a, a new level uh, and, we, and we find things to rant about. Um, or it, it could be because something has gone against our intuition and Again, we feel something is wrong. So basically, you know, ranting has has a stem in, you know, the, the, the status quo. But then something is is awry. Something something goes wrong, um, and it, you know, we we feel that in our brain, or we feel it in our heart, or we feel it in our conscience. So um, those those are the reasons that I think we we find to rant. So are there, you know, when when we're talking about rant, uh, ranting here, I think, um, you know, we want we want to talk about a specific type of rant, which I think Karen covered. Um, but you know, there are also other kinds of rants, right? I mean, you know, what what other, like, you know, there can be temper tantrums, right? I mean, so, you know, what is the distinction here that that we're talking about? Right. So, you know, the hope is that. Uh, in the context that we're talking about that, you know, we have some kind of objective idea that maps close to reality and how we're seeing things. Um, when we're ranting, when we're, when we're going on in a fashion about a particular um, injustice or something that we're seeing that's upsetting that we know doesn't have to be, or doesn't uh, need to be. Um, the hope is that, that understanding can be channeled towards constructive ends, that we're not uh, dumping any kind of uh, emotional or psychological distress onto our audience or onto someone else who has uh, no curiosity, no openness, um, and is being a, a kind of a victim of a rant. Uh, ideally, this rant is going to be a, a form of communication of something. Um, how we feel about something that uh, we should be feeling about. Um, 
and like you were saying, Shane, you know, it's for many years, uh, the only ranting that I've heard in the media was um, perpetrated by neocons or or people of that type or uh, ultra conservatives in the U.S. It's almost as though um, the the true progressives, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, if there are any, if there are any left, <laughs> have have somehow been uh, cut off, um, self-imposed, and otherwise by this uh, natural ability to um, to communicate in in a in a effective way. I mean, um, aside from a handful of anti-war protests in uh, the 2000s concerning Iraq, uh, we had uh, the Occupy movement, uh, which came about just about three or four years ago. And uh, people were really identifying the problem, the 1%. Um, but it, it seems to be all too little. Well, it's interesting what you say, you know, with uh, the whole you know, conservative uh, news and you know when you think about ranting in the news, that's that's really what comes to mind, right? You know, you have uh, Bill O'Reilly or Rush Limbaugh, and you know they're just like foaming at the mouth, and it's over, you know, just like complete lies, and that's how they, you know, they're really rallying people up, and they they do have a large base. You know, I think a a lot of um, a lot of that is also manufactured uh, in terms of you know it's, it's their popularity, but but still a large base. Uh, is there, and that's also where you have you know all these authoritarian followers coming in and and just foaming at the mouth as well. So you know really we need to um, bring in some truth uh, to to you know what's going on in the world and express uh, our frustrations about it. You know it's I read if you go through Scott and read you know if you're reading Scott daily, you can't help. Uh, come across story after story every day uh, that's you know going to get you riled up and angry and upset. You know it's just it's despicable uh, what we see on a daily basis, and it is you know it, it's it's frustrating. It's also tiresome. You know you get tired of seeing all the lies. Um, you know it, it's it's like it's unending. So we you know we do need a way to uh, communicate this and uh, kind of like what you were saying earlier on you know that can provide um, kind of a spark for others you know there there is uh, there is value in uh, expressing you know righteous anger and it can communicate you know the uh, urgency of what is happening uh, on this planet and just because you know everybody's shutting it off and you know and, and that and that is that in itself is a reason to you know to get upset because it's like blowing in the wind sometimes but there are people um there i think there's you know there there's also there are the people who already are you know aware of the situation but there are people also who are just starting to have questions mm-hmm. and you know so there's a value for 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 them as well and and for us you know it's it's just like um you know, i think there is uh, some protective measure uh, that uh, that is provided, you know, in doing, um, you know, in looking at things like this and and talking about it and expressing, you know, what you're feeling. And I think part of this also is, uh, you know, as I was, as I was saying a moment ago, uh, you really do want to 
know who your audience is and that you really do want to be as conscious of yourself as you're ranting or communicating as possible. Uh, One of the safest ways to do this or to channel what it is we're seeing and feeling uh, is through social media. I mean, God knows uh, the the number of of trolls and and people who are willing to uh, be downright rude um, in social media is legion. Um, but, uh, but there is a, another side to that. And that is the side of folks who, who are seeing things as they are. And, um, you know, as opposed to going to a, uh, you know, a Trump rally and, and, um, and, and getting on a soapbox and, and yelling at everybody for, for listening to this buffoon, um, you know, expressing some of these things in, uh, needless to say, a, a constructive environment, um, channeling the feelings uh, in a way that, that will be seen and, and understood by those who have yet to develop their views uh, is extraordinarily valuable. And um, on that note, it, it seems like there are social forces uh, that understand all this on a, on a kind of a, um, a macro level uh, that have analyzed uh, human nature, behavioral science, um, and have come up with strategies uh, to tamp down and and um, and kind of uh, dampen uh, the signal uh, that truth ranters give. And uh, I think you had a little information about that, Meg. Yeah, I did. When I was looking up um, the psychology of ranting, interestingly enough, is there was a lot of psychological article that said it just wasn't healthy, you know, that not to express your anger and that sort of thing. Um, but what was interesting is that one of the common, there were some common threads that ran through all of them. And one thing was that people become outraged when they see something that is unjust, unfair, excessive, or otherwise just insane. Um, and one thing that they pointed out was that it feels bad when you see those things happening to other people and you have this high emotional arousal happen and um, the person that is feeling that way is experiencing some sort of moral emotional boundary violation like something wrong is happening um, and the most interesting one I thought was that um, that reaction sends a loud signal to other people so when I was reading that I thought you know that's one way we're united on thought is it because we're outraged at the way the world is? Um, and it led me to find a study that was done by uh, the Canadian Journal of Peace and Conflict Studies. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I'm just going to read a little section here. It says, uh, many people become outraged when something occurs that they perceive as unjust, unfair, excessive, or otherwise inappropriate. Because perceived injustice predictably leads to outrage, those who are deemed responsible have much to gain by preventing this reaction, governments, corporations, militaries, that sort of thing. Um, and it goes on to say that um, it says powerful perpetrators regularly use five types of methods to inhibit outrage, which in my mind prevents us from collectively being outraged what's going on in the world. Um, it says cover up the action, okay, like um, sanitizing the news, minimizing the damage people do, um, devaluing the target like we see with the migrants. Uh, they're dehumanizing these people um, so we won't focus on the, our attention on there, be outraged by how they're treated, 
reinterpretation of the action, including lying, frame, framing, blaming, um, the use of official channels to give appearance of justice, um, and of course, intimidation, bribery, that sort of thing of people um, involved in whatever event that is you're looking at. But I thought it was interesting that when I read this, it's almost like the propaganda machine at work. It's like they do all these things to prevent us from being outraged at it. They sanitize everything so we aren't, it doesn't prick our conscience in a way, um, the suffering of others. So I thought it was pretty interesting the way they interconnect. Kind of reminds me of the bystander effect too. Like, you know, you have, uh, which is where you know, there is a crime or something happens and, you know, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a crime. Somebody could just like, a, you know, fall down on the street and it, it depends on if there's, you know, if there is somebody who uh, responds, more people will, re- will respond. Uh, if nobody responds, you know, it's like that. It's the, it's also diffused responsibility, you know, and somebody else feels like, Somebody else is going to do it, and that goes on to the next person, the next person, the next person. So nobody does anything. But when one person does stand up, there's that you know that peer or the, the social proof. When you know you do have somebody who does listen to their conscience and makes a stand in some way, uh, helps a person, uh, then it's a, it's followed by a second person, and then you know and then there's a group that comes. And so, you know, that's really also, that's another benefit of, you know, talking about these things and expressing what we're feeling over it, too, is, uh, you know, it, it gives a signal to others that, yes, you know, this is this is the right thing to do. You know, I'm angry about this, too. Let me say something. Um, so if, if you do, if anybody out there who's listening, um, you know, does have something that's on their mind, uh, you know, please do feel free to call in. Uh, the guest calling number is 718-508-9499, and we'd love to hear from you, uh, you know, whether it's over a story that we'll be talking about today or, you know, anything that's uh, been on the news that we don't cover, uh, please do uh, feel free to join us. You know, Alex, uh, the talk film had um, a powerful statement, and uh, I'm just going to read a, a little portion of it. It says, like some parents, a government chooses to be the sole agent and the only arbiter of happiness. It provides for their security, foresees and supplies their necessities, facilitates their pleasures, what remains but to spare them all the care of thinking and all the trouble of living. Uh, Such an authoritarian power does not destroy, but it prevents existence. It does not tyrannize, but it compresses, enervates, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till till the nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid, industrious animals of which the government is the shepherd. So um, this is part and parcel to why, as a people, we become numb and uh, non-vocal. But I think there's also a, a personal non-ranting program that we have and that's that inhibition that feeds itself when we don't confront it and engage it. Um, If you have a psychological loop with a built-in safety zone or like a conditional lock system or um, an inability on being able to express things, uh, this is something that, you know, we we should confront 
um, but we have this inhibition. And so that tells us, you know, it's more psychologically comforting to not have to do it. Uh, I've got a reason I, I don't rant, I don't confront it because I have an inhibition. So it becomes, it becomes a loop. Yeah, there's something to be said about this uh, false feeling of security or safety comes in um, not expressing ourselves in, in at least some context about the things that we're seeing. And um, there's this uh, chilling effect, obviously, that uh, that the NSA, other uh, organizations uh, that work for the government uh, have, have been instilling in us for so long. Uh, we're being watched. Um, you know, w- what we say can be interpreted as terrorism. Um, you know, and all these messages, if you see something, say something. Um, so uh, people have been told uh, that they're going to be criminalized in a way, uh, put on a list um, at, at the very worst. And, uh, and, and so... You know, it, if you're not with us, you're um, toe the party line, uh, or else. And um, you know, we've gotten we've gotten these messages in in so many different ways. The very fact that uh, Guantanamo uh, prison camp is still in existence after how many years, uh, even though every year we hear some bit of news that there's some phasing out or or, or some prisoners have been released. I think there's still like 191. That are still there, uh, who who haven't had due process of law, um, and if you read some of their individual stories, they're horrifying. But but what is all that? It's it's all this a message uh, that elements of the U.S. government have been kind of subtly communicating uh, to the citizens of the U.S., which is we can do this to you. Um, you know, same thing with uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, the the, uh, the soldier who came out and delivered the WikiLeaks video um, information, showing just how barbaric uh, our air forces were in, in Iraq and, and killing innocent people. So what does the government do? It punishes the guy for national security purposes. It's absurd. It's it's. Uh, you know, wh- what are the words to describe it? Uh, you know, the, the guy is easily one of the most patriotic and well-meaning and uh, and and correct people in, in putting out messages in the past 10 or 15 or 20 years. And uh, he's put in solitary confinement. Um, you know, uh, the message to Edward Snowden, uh, same thing. I, I mean... There are senators and uh, congressmen who want his head on a platter. Uh, how screwed up is that? Uh, they're not looking at um, malfeasance and corruption and and, uh, and social justice and, and rights that uh, that should be natural to us. They're looking at uh, someone who is uh, who who flew off to Russia for security, who who's a uh, I don't know, trying to vilify the U.S. government when that's the last thing uh, that's behind this dialogue that he was trying to create. So we're seeing this big chilling effect. It's very effective um, by the sheer fact that we don't have another 100 million people 
talking about how screwed up things are. And, uh, and to that extent, I think there are going to be a lot of shocked people to their core. They're going to be shocked uh, when they see the maw uh, of, the, of the tyrannical state that the U.S. has become. Well, I wonder, you know, I think, I think there are certain types that no matter what happens, you know, the, the truth could come out and really slap them hard in the face and still, you know, the, there's some, going to be somebody else to blame. Mm-hmm. But for people who do have, you know, some conscience, some seed of conscience inside them, um, you know, when things do break down, you know, hopefully things will be more apparent to them. But this, um, you know, I think I think this inhibitory uh, effect, you know, it's that's that's really been pushed uh, from you know the United States government through things like the NSA spying and uh, Guantanamo and and so on. You know, it's really uh, found a spot in uh, you know the average person because you know we're. Even at a, at a, a family level, a social level, you know, we don't know how to you know, express uh, our anger uh, in healthy ways. Um, you know, we don't know how to how to communicate those things. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's it's like the hardest thing in the world uh, when when you're angry uh, to <laughs> to to say you know what's on your mind in a healthy way. Uh, you know, it can come more more often. You know, it, it bubbles underneath. Right, and it just keeps building and building and building, and we push it down and push it down, and and it you know then it comes out in other ways, passive aggressive ways, uh, ways that uh, can actually come out and hurt people. But if we just you know if we can just have a little courage, and say you know what this this affected me this way, mm-hmm. and I like to talk about it, mm-hmm. then you know then we might get somewhere. And really, that's what we're talking about on the world stage as well. You know, we need to be expressing you know things on on all levels. Uh, you know, whether it's family issues or if it's on uh, on the world, like regarding the world stage. You know, we need to be talking about these things. And and because it, it, things are so bad, you know, um, it, and they're going to get worse. Yeah, and and they're they're always getting worse. You know, this week. It, it going through the news, you know, there's so many big events, um, things that you know really made me angry, and that's just this week. Last week, the same thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it, God damn it. It's it's a daily it's a daily thing, um, and you know, and we do have uh, people uh, that we can talk to, uh, you know. Hopefully, um, hopefully the listeners out there do too. And if you don't, you can call in <laughs> and express yourself here too. Well, if we don't, you know, if we don't protest, if if we don't rant, if we don't make, you know, our our ideas or our take on the situation known, then you know the government is one. It's one that that uh, anti-protest um, it, it equates to validation for them. If, if, if there's if there's no naysayers, then we must be then we must be doing the right thing, and we will just keep on doing it because there's no action against it. Right, and um, like that's I mean, being angry about stuff that's just a part of being human, right? And you know, putting suppressing that and you know not engaging in that at all, 
and not understanding that, like that's that's a losing a piece of you know who we are too, and and it's a it's a way that can help others as well. Well, a couple of years ago on SOT, we carried a uh, really a classic rant. Uh, it's from 2003, August 2003. 2013. 13. Sorry, I'm time traveling here. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's called. Obama's speech, I am so sick of lies. It got quite a response, and, and this was, uh, you know, this is just some lady sitting in her car. Uh, we're going to play a couple of minutes of it just to give you some sense of um, what an authentic, uh, heartfelt, um, knowledge-based rant uh, could sound like and, and how affecting it is. So here it goes. on her face, the exasperation, 
uh, it's really affecting. She's just sitting in her car with a dash cam recording this, which is why you hear all that kind of back background static noise. Um, and we're going to touch upon uh, the, Sy- the Syrian situation a little bit later. But right now, Shane, we have a phone call. Uh, we do, yes. Um, yes, Jeremy. Hello, caller. Hi, we can hear you. Hello. Hey, my name's Brent Hi, from New York City. Hey, Brent. Brent, hello. Hi, Brent. Um, I just saw a thing on Facebook this morning that drove me absolutely insane. Um, it was Donald Trump speaking at a rally in New Hampshire, and someone who was quite obviously an actor stood up and proclaimed that the problem in this country is is Muslims. And, you know, everyone in the crowd just seems to nod along. Donald Trump just, like, nods along and accepts it. And it, it just it blew my mind that, that that kind of thing was just, you know, openly spoken. And here it is on CNN. And, you know, we just had a uh, poor, uh, the 14-year-old Ahmed Mohammed, I think his name was, in Texas, who got arrested mm-hmm. and detained for bringing a homemade clock in to show his engineering professor or his engineering teacher. And an alarm went off in another class. And all of a sudden, it was like the poor kid had a bomb. You know, if it was a white kid or if it was... You know, anybody other than somebody named Ahmed Mohammed, you know, it would have been fine. But because it was a Muslim, you know, brown-skinned kid, he was automatically, you know, taken away by the police. No charges were filed. He did nothing wrong. Um, and then the school had the gall to even, like, stand up and defend their decision and, and reminded parents that they are doing everything to protect the children. It's just it's so absolutely just mind-blowing. And... And I saw a comment on my friend's post. He posted the video and obviously decried that this is ridiculous, that something like this could go unchallenged. And and somebody comes along in his comments, and I don't know these people, um, but, you know, saying, don't blame the man, blame the religion. There's plenty of good Muslims, but they aren't speaking out against the radical Muslims. And, you know, we're seeing, seeing all these videos of suicide bu- bu- bombings and calls for jihad. And, and, you know, the average person, what is he supposed to think about that, you know? And, and it's, it, he get, goes on and basically kind of, you know, go, rails against Islam. And it struck me that this was the same sort of justification that uh, I, I heard a lot of the Nazis using to talk about the Jews. You know, that there's, there's some problem Jews, but, you know, the, all over, overall, you know, the Jews aren't doing enough to police themselves. So we have to go in there and we have to police them and we have to do what we have to do you know, to protect everyone else. And I, I made that comment, and it just, we went back and forth for a bit, and I had to stop. <laughs> it was just All blowing Facebook my mind. constantly supplies uh, material for getting outraged. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. That, that, that case, you know, really uh, got to me too, Brent. I, um, you know, you have, you have this intelligent kid who, you know, is trying to impress his engineering teacher and you know who's who who's uh you know very inventive creative and so he he brings in this clock uh in into class and he's treated like a terrorist i mean when when the um when they pulled him into the principal's office you know there was a police officer there and the guy goes yep that's who i thought it was and i mean here's this you know this this 14 year old kid and he he's made to feel like an absolute uh criminal uh yeah. for for being like you know an an intelligent kid like this is just it's insane because and there was name. there was no crime yeah. committed none whatsoever 
they didn't even suspect that the device was a bomb. I mean, if they had, they would have probably evacuated the school. They would have called the bomb squad. But they, they clearly and freely admit that none of that happened. They never actually thought that it was a bomb. And yet right. they still treated him like it was. <laughs> well, here's what's so moronic about it. it, it it's, uh, it's, it there's so much conditioning involved. It's such a program that, to their mind, this is the right thing to do. It's remarkable that no no one in a position of authority, whether at the school or the police department, said, wait a minute here. The guy obviously had just has this little science project, and, and in our worst nightmare, uh, this resembles a bomb. Folks, calm the hell down. Kid, you know. Let's, Get your clock back. Here's your clock. <laughs> let's, you know, let's just calm down a minute. Uh, go back to class, and everybody just chill out. I mean, you know, is that so difficult? Is that in kind of interruption of the programming so outlandish? It's not. It's it's very simple. It's very reasonable. It's very rational. So this story, uh, and so many others like it, suggests that uh, people are, I don't know, they're running on automatic pilot. Uh, you know, where are their brains? Where Where is the sense of equilibrium here? Um and then, you know, what makes matters worse, you hear that, you know, Obama tweeted an invitation uh, for, for this poor kid to come to the White House. You know, as if, as if uh, Obama's, you know, drone bombing of innocents uh, across the Middle East for the, for the past eight years uh, is somehow outside of the equation. Or absolved. Or absolved. I mean, so what, we're supposed to, you know, this is the the kind of superficial uh charm uh you know correctness that obama imbues and and uh and and that people you know fell in love with him for and uh i don't know are, are is there more than 3% of of his um his original backers who still believe the guy is uh basically trying to do the right thing i don't know i say no it's hard to tell these days. Well, um, there have been some suggestions to the kid and you know, articles on the web that he actually uh, take this opportunity, because he agreed that he would go to the White House, uh, to express some of these things. Uh, there have been others who have been invited to the White House. Uh, there was a Nobel Peace Prize laureate or Pulitzer Prize laureate, I forget which, who kind of point blank uh, addressed Obama about uh, drone attacks. Um, so it would be very nice for this kid, Ahmed Mohammed, to uh, have have a moment of truth, not just for himself, uh, but for literally hundreds of millions of people uh, who were falling victim to this huge uh, hypocrisy. Uh, that we're seeing on the part of Obama, among others. Oh, there are stories that kind of come along uh, every once in a while. You know, there are so many um, police state stories that you know don't get national attention, uh, and you know, fortunately, this story did you know get pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially you know got tweets from Obama and and uh, Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton, and um, you know I when when I saw that you know it. It it does come across as a decent move, but you know that wasn't like you know that that's 
not something that uh, Obama felt in his heart. I don't know that management. Yeah, exactly. Everyone continues to believe he's not the psychopath that he is. Right. Well, it's capitalization mm-hmm. on an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, good to see. I think the the charges were dropped. Have been dropped. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were, the police were looking at possibly charging him, not with making a bomb, but making a hoax bomb. So, yeah, apparently you can get charged with That's making ridiculous. a hoax bomb. But, yeah, oh, yeah, they had, to, they had to do something to kind of, you know, save their face. Like, oh, well, we're this still maybe, you know, considered a hoax bomb, and we're looking at that, and it's Texas. So, of course, you have that sort of cocky authoritarian, you know, we know what we're doing and you can't tell me anything that's wrong with it kind of attitude pervading the whole sort of situation. Right, yeah, the especially Irving, Texas, you know, they they have had uh issues with uh Islamophobia, you know, in um in the past as well. And which, you know, which is no surprise because it's 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 something that's, you know, across the whole United States. You know, like you were saying with the 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 Trump speech or you know whatever it was you know it's 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 coming from authorities uh, all over the U S and all over the world too you know it's it's not just a local phenomenon especially with uh, the refugee crisis now it, it's it's really getting ramped up yeah that's that's what they want they want the fear because when you have a whole bunch of fear you know in a in a, in a population it's just so much easier to get that problem reaction solution program out and get people to accept whatever you offer up as the the solution du jour. You know, work with uh work with Iraq and it's, it's they've been pushing, you know, after Iraq it was Libya and then after Libya it was Syria and Lebanon and uh not Lebanon, but um they're in Syria now, they're in Yemen now and it just it's just unbelievable and all these poor people that have no idea what's happening to their country or their homes, or just being surrounded by men that are angry with weapons that kick in their doors at two in the morning, you know, and pull out the men and shoot them in the yard, and like the, it's just unbelievable that this is really happening. Like in you know 2015, like you basically have like almost a recurrence of of the the Nazi takeover of Germany, except now it's more spread and sort of like explained away by ISIS, which again is completely obviously a, a, a NATO Western proxy army. And, you know, only just recently have I seen it. I think it was on RT and I think uh, Assad and both Putin have come out and pointed out the reality of, of that fact, even though it's it's been so obvious for so long. They're finally are starting to have these, these points are coming out and being discussed. But it, it, just, it just blows my mind that you can get people, you know, inside the US, it's like there's some sort of like mind-numbing bullshit program where nobody seems to be able no nobody really cares, you know, nobody really pays that much attention. They hear a soundbite on, you know, the news or, you know, they catch a bit on NPR or they see something flash on CNN and all of a sudden they have an opinion that they think is educated. Well, that opinion was clearly molded and programmed specifically so that you wouldn't have an educated opinion. And nobody takes the time to even acquire one. I mean, there were very few people take the time to acquire one. Well, it's like the you know the thing that you were saying uh, with the uh, you know the one person's response to your um, discussion on Facebook, where they said, "Well, you know, I don't see the Muslims uh, coming out and you know uh, speaking out against the the, the 
terroristic crimes or whatever. And, you know, that is a, it's a huge talking point. And that's all it is. It's a sound bite. You know, there's no actual thought involved in that. There's no actual, there's no evidence of it because, you know, there are plenty of uh, of Muslims who, you know, uh, go on and, and, and talk about how ISIS and, and Islamic extremism doesn't have anything to do with uh, with Islam as a religion, and but you know that 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 doesn't matter because this this talking point is entrenched in their minds, and that is you know that's what they're running off of. It's just like a a, a record that repeats. You know? Yeah, and yeah. he damns anyone that, who contradicts them. I think too that I mean. I, I've noticed that here in America, it's like the American exceptionalism and the whole just world cognitive bias comes into play. It's like for some reason they think that you know when bad things happen to good people, they somehow deserve it somehow, um, that the world is a just place and they feel safe and protected believing we're more special than other people that were causing suffering for, like the Iraqis and Syria and Libya. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just some sort of mental block there where they can't allow that in. You know, we're America. We're the greatest country in the world. We couldn't possibly be murdering mm-hmm. millions of innocent, brown-skinned people. Right. They just it can't enter their worldview. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles um, we have at SOD is, is penetrating that cognitive bias that the world's not a safe place. It's not a rational, reasonable place where everyone gets what they deserve. It's just not. But people believe that. They want to believe that. It makes them feel safe, you know? I As a kind of a thought experiment the other day, I was thinking about all the people I know who are unaware of uh, the fact that ISIS is a proxy uh, army and force uh, in Syria uh, created by the U.S., uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan, and Israel, uh, supported logistically and financially by the CIA, among other uh, groups. And uh, what I imagined is that they would look at me as though I had uh, horns or two heads, uh, it is that far away a reality or an understanding uh, to them. And um, if if they did understand that, if they did have the, the information uh, which which showed how this is true, uh, how, how it has a basis in reality, uh, Meg, is, is, I mean, it would completely um, destroy their kind of, you know, safe little bubble. Yeah, and depending on how deeply they are into that belief that that the world is a just place, the more severe their reaction will be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if it's just a little bitty block in their mind, thinking maybe things aren't the way I think they are, um, it's probably not going to be a big hurdle. But for someone um, who really truly believes it in the American exceptionalism, they go the other way. They're the ones who get violent to protect, you know, a patriotic country. They're the ones who go... They're the ones who are going to go off the deep end, I think, um, because the illusion, I think, that the veil is thinning. Um, they're lying about the economy getting better, and it's not. And, you know, it's just going to take one thing, and people are going to just go off. Obama lied to me. Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, Brent, did you, did you have any other thoughts? Uh, no, I think I, I pretty much I pretty much ranted my little heart out. So thank you all uh-huh. for letting me oh, do that. We appreciate you calling in. Rant on. No problem. Rant on. Thanks. Rant on in New York. <laughs> I'm gonna go look, keep care, listening, man. and I'll make room for another caller. Catch you guys later. Alrighty. Take care. Yeah, there is a there's a little rant and rave section at the the bottom of our local newspaper, and 
you know, of course, as we were talking about earlier, you know, rants can go either way. And just related to, you know, what we are just talking about, um, there's, uh, I just saw this. So uh, the person writes in, how come so many Syrian refugees coming across the border are men? What happened to the women and children? So this is something that I've also seen, you know, quite a bit on social media, uh, which is talking about, you know, just saying that, um, you know, it's all, all these men that are, you know, coming across and are basically leaving the women and children behind. And while, you know, there's, you know, why aren't they there fighting ISIS? Um, why aren't they there uh, supporting um the women and children. Well, you know, when you look at what the United States has done to Syria, you know, they're they're bombing uh, the people. You know, they won't bomb uh, ISIS. You know, Lavrov, uh, he just came out uh, this past week, and and you know, he was saying how you know, the United States that they got intel how you know, the uh, Allied forces were directed not to attack. ISIS positions when they knew uh, where they were. I mean, you know, how, <laughs> and and then you do see, you know, uh, pictures of, of Syria just absolutely destroyed. So, you know, they're destroying the infrastructure. And how are these people supposed to survive? How are they supposed to live? You know, it, the, it's 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 baffling, and and it is it is outrageous. And and then you have people saying, well, you know, why don't they stay there? And and it's not true that it's just the men coming. You know, you have you have families. Um, and hello, I mean, did um, did did this person miss the, the you know the whole uh, thing with the the four year old uh, toddler washing up on uh, the Turkish shore? I mean, you know, there's been thousands of migrants, uh, refugees, uh, who have drowned in the, in the Mediterranean. And, um, you know, it's not just men, it's uh, whole families and, you know, they're, they're struggling and they're, they're, they're fleeing, uh, a situation that the United States and, um, you know, it, and NATO has, has created, uh, you know, and it's, it, it, we've just destroyed, um, their, their their whole their lives. Well, you know that that, uh, that little rant question that you just read, Shane. Um, it's it's insidious because what it does is it's not only you know factually incorrect uh, in in a few different senses, but it also plays into this idea that if you're a man and you're from Syria, uh, you are likely to be a dangerous ISIS affiliated. Uh, terrorists, and you're coming to Europe, and you're likely to blow Europe up. Um, and you're abandoning your children and your wife because they're not with you. Mm-hmm. So um, Harrison Kelly described some of this uh, in a uh, focus uh, to Saad uh, recently. And um, it's really, you know, I was speaking to someone the other day about the situation in Syria, and she was confusing uh, – she didn't even know what was happening in Ukraine. Um, but uh, – she posed the same exact question to me, which means she read the same thing and was making the same associations. And, uh, and that's, that's what the other side does. 
And so um, it's the it's the job of, of people who care about uh, the truth of things um, to to pose uh, another question um, to put out the idea that you know these questions are totally uh, bogus and, and propaganda and uh, are serving certain agendas because people don't know that that surface layer question is what's diverting uh, the thinking and, and, and knowledge and understanding of folks in a direction that serves the agenda. So um, that's what we have to counter. Well, when you have you know so many people uh, having this perception, you know it's it's coming from the media. You know the media is only taking pictures of men and and showing them you know on on the you know evening news. They're not showing the families because that would that would strike a, a chord in uh, people's uh, conscience. But they don't do that. They you know they're inflaming hatred. They're you know uh, creating the conditions that you know very well could lead uh, to the next Holocaust. I mean we are in the middle of it. You know it's it's not it's not something that's uh that's just started. You know th- this has been. Uh, an ongoing thing uh, since 9/11. You know, we're murdering millions and millions of Muslims, and and you know, it's this depiction of them as um, less than human. Uh, there was and it, coming from authorities. You know, there was um, an article recently on SOT where uh, the uh, France's national lead, uh, National Front Party leader uh, Marine Le Pen, who in the past you know, has said some uh, decent things, um, you know, spoken out against uh, the U.S. and, you know, it's it's a power over Europe. Um, she seemed to have some rationality and she seemed to have some uh, sense of humanity. But with um, what she recently said was, you know, she compared uh, the refugee crisis as a barbarian invasion, She's she's calling these people a barbarian. That is just sick. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, like, and she, and it's not just from her, you know. And that that's it, that's really uh, that's what's really depressing. Well, that's one of the tactics that they use is they relabel people to dehumanize them, make mm-hmm. them less than. It's okay to kill them if they're not equal to us American exceptional Americans or French. If she's French, she's French, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they relabel it to dehumanize them so we can kill them mm-hmm. and they can suffer and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the psychological mind thing. Ploy. Ploy. But what people are not asking themselves is what if this was my country? What if it was me that was the refugee or the the migrant and I was going to another country? How would I do that? What would I do? You know, what would be the circumstances that would be so devastating that I would leave. I would have to leave. I would be forced to leave. There's, there's, there's no food. There's no infrastructure. There's there's no health. There's no medical. Um, all of these things have to play into a decision for a family to uproot and leave. And wouldn't the guys go first, or wouldn't you know what what define what are find uh, family dynamics? What would you do in that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's a, in order to leave your home, you know, your your job, um, you know, every your your whole, you know, all your roots, 
really think about that. Uh, what what it would take. Yeah. There, there's a certain level of desperation, uh, a very high level of desperation that that uh, that has been taken largely for granted until uh, this young boy was uh, found on the shore. Um, and even that is being co-opted for the purposes of, you know, now we need to go into Syria big time uh, because look at what Assad's leadership has wrought, you know. Uh, but uh, we have another caller here, and we're going to say hello. Uh, hello, caller. Hey, this is Joe from New York City. And I've got a few Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi, guys. Um, one, hey, uh, thanks for... So if, uh, if, if you have the um, audio on in the background, you can hear a little bit of an echo. No, I don't. Hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Let's see. I think it should be off. Yeah, it is off. Oh, okay, I had a few rants also, New York City rants, and also the one about Syria. Um like you see in the newspaper every single day about this Syrian president being a demagogue and being a tyrant and being all these different things. And if people actually took the time to read through any of the things he said, I mean, they're very reasonable. I mean, everything he says is is sane. And um, it's just – it's really disturbing to see all of these photos of bombed-out buildings and, you know, that's really disturbing to me and I talk about it with people occasionally and it's very difficult for them. I mean, I think Americans have come to enjoy their hatred of other people and it's it's you know, it's really hurtful. It's hard to get through a conversation with people about these things, but I've <clears throat> I found like usually if you can take it back to some interest that they have, like you know, if they're interested in uh, you know, if they're students and they carry a large amount of debt, things like that, I find like, you know, it's like, why do you go and bomb Libya when they have like free education? You know, this it may sound mm-hmm. a little bit disjointed, but there's, you know, it's it's sort of like maybe a lot of this is backed up in me because, you know, you feel like you want to have some of these conversations and it it gets very difficult to do because the programming, the propaganda has been going on at such a high level with such hatred and such anger and such ignorance that you have to try and find some sort of a way to introduce a new bit of information where, you know, all of a sudden the whole thing doesn't rain down on you. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And that's why I like your courage there in the things that you do is, is terrific. Um, so I had that, but I had a few others. I had, um, it, it was strange. I was in Midtown in in Manhattan. I had never seen this before. There are literally like vans driving around with like blue uh, neon lights with announcements, something like V out of Vendetta, you know, saying stay on the sidewalk, don't take your children into the street, drive 25 oh, miles an hour. It was really bad. Like even the people on the sidewalk started looking like, "What the heck is this stuff?" <laughs> and it was it was strange. It was like they were driving down the streets with like announcements, large, you know, aimed at people. So that was weird. And then there Joe, are, Joe? yeah. Hey Joe. So that that's a very interesting little bit of information there, and and one that I think is uh, is new to us here, uh, at least to me. Um, if if you find any bit of news. Uh, I haven't that. actually tried to look 
online several times and it's not there you know i haven't i haven't seen anything but they're like vans right i mean even the people on the sidewalks looked at it strangely and these are new yorkers you know people are like what the heck because there was a lady with her baby carriage and she looks up and she's like what is this you know and i looked over i was like it's literally like a van i think it's part of plan zero or something which i'm not exactly sure what that is but i'm sure it won't work um so there's that, and then there's, uh, you know, there's a whole focus on stop and frisk again, and then uh, fare beaters in the New York City subways. So a lot of what they have the police doing, this is partly why people are afraid. Every time you enter a turnstile, you know, there are cops there waiting to see if you're skipping or something or looking at you like you're a criminal. <clears throat> and literally one of them they hide in the staircase or one they've closed the door and put up a poster just enough so they can see a slit through it and stare right at it and you know the people who are getting arrested or getting hurt by this are people who can't afford whatever the fines are i mean or getting thrown into rikers i think it's like 150 dollars or something i don't know what the fair beating is but it's something ridiculous and it's horrible what because is that joe uh, well, fare beating is when people can't afford to pay the subway fares, which have been raised. Oh, okay. So it's poor people. Sometimes, you know, out in Brooklyn, it's sort of fishermen or it's immigrants or migrants or uh, or students even, <clears throat> and a lot of them can't afford. There's even programs in New York City schools that pay for these things, and sometimes they don't get put through, so students have to get to school and back, and they can't sometimes because these programs are backed up and they haven't gotten the information entered in. So that sort of stuff. So they've made it a So it's basically somebody who tries to get around paying the fare and then they get caught and arrested. And... It's people who can't afford it, generally. Mm -hmm. You know, it's people who can't afford that. It gets expensive. You're looking at, you know, you're looking at 550 a day or something for two trips or so. You know, it gets expensive. And I just, for me personally, I don't think that's where it should be going. Uh, you know, because then you get people having to pay tickets and they can't afford them. And then they get thrown in jail or, 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 or not always, but you know, it's like, it's just another excuse that it teaches you every time you go through that subway style, you know, or, or, or turnstile, you know, that everyone has to watch mm -hmm. all the time or be, you know, oppressed as soon as you go into the subway. It's like, come on, you know, it's like things it, that's absolutely ridiculous. These people aren't criminals. I mean, you literally created a $2.8 billion extension onto the west side that's going to have a debt service of I don't know how many hundreds of millions, you know. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. It's payable only to the banks. You know, you have – I don't know what why they wouldn't just do a bond or something where you can – you know, the government pays for it. But, I mean, I think for the New York City subway system alone, the debt – service is over 2.2 or 2.3 billion dollars we pay per year just in interest on these capital projects and so they raise rates but it, it you know it's stuff like that um and that's kind of what's going on here but i did have a few conversations with people about you know palestine that didn't work so well um it, the only thing i said that resonated a little bit was they had nothing whatsoever to do with the holocaust you know, and what if someone came into your apartment and did these things? And they seem to respond a little bit, but the program always, you see them always shift back 
to the hatred, to the anger, to the justification for why they feel the way they feel. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. There's there's a couple of my rants. So well, thanks. I'm just, I'm just thinking, Joe, about the the criminalization of people, uh, the fair beaters, the people who would give a sandwich to a homeless person. Uh, the child who would come to a school with a project that uh, somebody calls a bomb, um, with people who are uh, protesting in in areas that aren't designated, you know, free uh, free speech zones, um, uh, for people who, you know, have you know live in a part of town that that has a high crime rate, they're automatically uh, treated as criminals. And then on the flip side, you have you know these bankers uh who yeah, have yeah. literally gotten away with with uh raping uh the financial well-being of of millions of people uh who get away with a a slap on the wrist um in the form of a fine and uh and no no time served no jobs lost uh they're still employed and they're doing their worst again um, no, and I know, and for so, here, you know, it's like what's really bad is <clears throat> they're also talking about another extension into Jersey for the financial people, which would be billions of dollars. This one benefited the people, <clears throat> you know, in expensive luxury towers. The other huge one was another cost overrun on Wall Street, and all of that debt is serviceable by the poorest people who pay for those subways. And it's horrible, you know, it is. And they get away with, you know, continuing on with their shenanigans, putting up another damn glass building in this city. I mean, I drove in the other day. I can't believe it. There's like, I don't know, 15 or so going up. I don't even recognize it. Glass buildings going up. And even in downtown Brooklyn, you know, all the rates in these multi-ethnic, you know, low-income areas. And people can't afford it. You know, they can't afford to live, you know, basically. Okay. Well, it's Sorry. pretty outrageous. No, right. no, it's fine, Joe. Um, it's just, it is it is really outrageous because you have New York City with um, with so many so many people and so much income generated from you know the the bridge and uh, metro and and so on. And you know where is all that money going to? Why can't um, you know in a normal world? You would see uh, a society that uses that money to benefit the people. Uh, clearly, that's not happening, and it's not happening in New York City. It's not happening, you know, anywhere in the United States, and or or in, you know, you can expand that, you know, all over the Western world. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's, well, it's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's go just ahead. frustrating because. It's not that that we're so moralizing and focused on everyone else. I mean, they've been doing work on the main artery, highway artery, going into Manhattan from Brooklyn that carries millions of cars for over 20 years. It should have been done in a year and a half. And it still goes on, and it's worse than ever. The Brooklyn Bridge, I don't know how long the work's been going on there. They're on-ramps, they're off-ramps, this and that. It's worse than ever. They just get to the point where they put down metal plates over stuff. Now, they don't even bother. I mean, it's just a wreck, and it's been that way at least five years. At least. They can't repair any of the bridges. You know, but when a luxury apartment building has to go up on the Brooklyn waterfront, there it goes. You know, these enormously priced apartments, and then you get a, a little park there for them. And it's fine, but the Brooklyn Bridge, you know, it's bad. You know, Williamsburg Bridge, and 
all of these – you go on the FDR, you go on the West Side Highway. FDR is really bad, which are, you know, the main links of Manhattan on either side. And I've driven on better roads in Indonesia, you know, driven on way better roads there. And it shouldn't have to be. You go to Florida someplace, nice roads. But here, you know, I don't know. It's just – it's crumbling, some of it. So thanks. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Joe. Appreciate your call. Thanks for yeah, ranting. Good, good for good to hear from you. I had to get at least some. Thanks for calling, Joe. Thanks a lot. Bye, you guys. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Ella, uh, there was an article. I mean, when you work on thought that you, you know, the, there's some stories that just stick out to you, and for some reason, when I was thinking about the show today, this one did, and it says, uh, "Work to death." A New Jersey woman working four jobs die, dies while napping in her car between her shifts. She would work three shifts a day to make ends meet, and I think that coincides with what our caller was talking about. It's so expensive to live. I mean, this woman was working four jobs, three shifts a day, uh, up five days at a time, and she dies of uh, carbon monoxide poisoning from sleeping in her car. That's just, where is the outrage of that, you know? I mean, why should one person have to work four jobs to survive here? It just shouldn't happen. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I thought, well, did she have like fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt? I mean, what? Probably your student loans. Student loans. I mean, it's just to me that is absolutely outrageous. And the article it's off RT, but it says seven point five million Americans are working more than one job. I mean, we know how the Bureau of Labor and Statistics like to fudge their statistics. So I mean, I think we could probably double that number um, just to make ends meet. Um, it's just it's shocking to me. Um, and it's like. You know, I'm sure it was a little blurb in the news and people went on with their lives. Um, for me, that's just a sign. I mean, we're being literally worked to death in this country with nothing to show for it. Like you talking about the college, talking we're about We're constantly trying to catch up to to the times as, as they are because we still believe in the times as they were. Um, and, and nobody's being proactive against, you know, the, the hedge. Well, that's the thing, too. Yeah, people are so tired from having to work so many jobs that, you know, they don't have the energy to even put into, you know, understanding why things are this bad. Yeah. You know? Paying attention. They don't have the energy to pay attention. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you have to get what the rabbit hole is where all of our economy is going uh, and, and why is it going there? What, what's being paid for that we don't know about? You know, it, there, it's been mentioned a couple of times here on the show also, um, that a true minimum wage in this country based on uh, the rate of inflation and, and other factors would be something like $23 an hour. I mean, how many people are, are working for 8 or 10 or, or $12 an hour uh, just to make ends meet? Um, but the, the people who get elected to office are, are in such a big bubble. Uh, they are so far removed from uh, the, the challenges of reality. Uh, from what the average person uh, needs to do in order to put food on the table, that uh, there's, you know, this isn't part of their thinking. There's no, uh, there's no feeling for, uh, no empathy for uh, the, the the challenges that the average American citizen experiences, which easily translates to anything that anyone else experiences, i.e., refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as we're, did you have a point on that, Shane? Uh, well, uh, it was it was a tangential 
point. Um, I was just going to get back to something that um, Joe had mentioned, which was, you know, a, a lot of these uh, bankers and you know the wealthy, they're you know they're the ones that were making out. And uh, there was a recent story from you know regarding the the Justice Department. Uh, there was a Yates memo that came out, and there was like some uh, restructuring of the or supposed restructuring that should be in quotes uh, of the Justice Department. And the memo basically said, "Okay, uh, prosecutors, you you actually have to prosecute um, you know uh, white collar crime, uh, and mainly you know, crime com- coming from Wall Street." Um, now, this is basically, you know, what, what's been kind of coming out was that this is saying that the Justice Department has uh, has some fault in uh, the previous administration of it in terms of not prosecuting, um, you know, bankers and banks and basically letting them off. However, um, now that the statute of limitations has uh, has reached its limit, you know, all these people, you know, it, it's it's like a, you know, it's a uh, it's it's too late for that, you know. So these guys are are all let off. But the real kicker is that uh, corporations are going to be put in charge of uh, these investigations. <laughs> so you know, okay, you have to prosecute, but you're gonna have to wait on the corporations to say, okay, yeah, this is the guy. I mean, give me a break. Like it's just. It's so ridiculous. So you know, the, the supposed restructuring isn't really happening. You know, it's just a bunch of uh, BS. Yeah, that's so just it sounds like, like a shift into the privatization of the police state. Mm-hmm. Well, the insanity is that they did it the first time, and then it's incompreh- it's incomprehensible that they're doing it all over again. You know, as we speak, and then what's the stupidity is that we trusted that it would be different this time. Mm-hmm. It's not different. It's the same, only worse. Well, this reminds me a lot of the, you know, the government and and Bush uh, creating the uh, 9/11 Commission to investigate uh, itself. Basically, you know, six or seven hundred pages of uh, of of, yes. of BS. Yeah, uh, that um, that that basically said, oh yes, well there were intelligence failures, and oh yes, you know this could have been done better, but uh, at the end of the day, it was Osama bin Laden. You know, uh, who was reportedly already dead, among other, among a, a whole slew of other <laughs> things that are wrong with the story, and um, and so yeah, I mean, you know, wh- where is the where is the person or the regulatory agency that says, wait a minute, you can't investigate yourself, guys, that you know, this is really uh, this is not how it works, you know, um, but uh, you know, speaking of that. Um, we have a, a clip of um, George Galloway, a member of parliament in the UK, uh, who came to the US, I think it was in 05. Yeah, okay. Um, he, he was, uh, I guess, accused, although it wasn't a court of law that, that he spoke before, but um, he came before the Senate subcommittee investigation of a, of a scam that was uh, basically uh, a kind of construct of these folks in Washington. It was called UN Oil for Food. And um, what we're going to hear first is just a moment of Norm Coleman, who is part of this committee, 
Uh, he's a senator who the only reason he ever got into office and was voted in was because uh, Paul Wellstone, um, a, a remarkable uh, senator with um, or congressman with um, uh, with real integrity, died during the election campaign during a plane crash. Uh, him and, and uh, a few members of his family. Anyway, uh, here's Norm Col- Coleman kind of setting up. It's a little ways in. Uh, this this uh, this interview, if you will, with George Galloway. Former Iraqi officials, as well as Iraqi documents that lay out how the oil for food program worked, how allocations were given to favored friends, how allocation holders made substantial commissions on those allocations to oil companies, what Ramadan called compensation for support, what another official, when talking about another allocation holder, said, of course they made a profit, that's the whole point. Surcharges and oil contracts were given back to the Saddam regime and were the responsibility of the allocation holder. The evidence clearly identifies you as an allocation beneficiary who transferred the allocations to Fawaz Zurichat, who became chairman of your organization, Miriam's Appeal. Appeal. Senior Iraqi officials have confirmed that you, in fact, received oil allocations and that the documents that identify you as an allocation recipient are valid. If you can help provide any evidence that challenges the veracity of these documents or the statements of former Iraqi officials, we'd welcome that input. Mr. Galloway, you're appearing before the subcommittee without asserting any privilege or immunity. Indeed, your appearance before the subcommittee is entirely voluntary and on your own accord. No subpoena was issued to secure your appearance. You're appearing before the subcommittee concerning matters that do not arise out of the performance of any of your official duties as a member of the British Parliament but instead concern actions taken by you in your capacity as a private citizen. Before we begin, pursuant to Rule 6, all witnesses who testify before this subcommittee are required to be sworn. This time I would ask you to rise and please raise your right hand. You swear the testimony you're about to give before this subcommittee is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. We will be using a timing system today, uh, Mr. Galloway. Uh, we can have 10 minutes for opening statement. If you need more time, we'll certainly accommodate that, and uh, you may proceed. Senator, I am not now, nor have I ever been, an oil trader, and neither has anyone on my behalf. I have never seen a barrel of oil, owned one, bought one, sold one, and neither has anybody on my behalf. Now, I know that standards have slipped over the last few years in Washington, but for a lawyer, you're remarkably cavalier with any idea of justice. I'm here today, but last week, you already found me guilty. You traduced my name around the world without ever having asked me a single question, without ever having contacted me, without ever having written to me or telephoned me, without any contact with me whatsoever. And you call that justice. Now, I want to deal with the pages that relate to me in this dossier. And I want to point out areas where there are, let's be charitable and say, errors. And then I want to put this in the context that I believe it ought to be. On the very first page of your document, about me, you assert that I have had many meetings with Saddam Hussein. This is false. 
I have had two meetings with Saddam Hussein, once in 1994 and once in August of 2002. By no stretch of the English language can that be described as many meetings with Saddam Hussein. As a matter of fact, I've met Saddam Hussein exactly the same number of times as Donald Rumsfeld met him. The difference is Donald Rumsfeld met him to sell him guns and to give him maps the better to target those guns. I met him to try and bring about an end to sanctions, suffering and war and on the second of the two occasions I met him to try and persuade him to allow Dr. Hans Blix and the United Nations weapons inspectors back into the country. A rather better use of two meetings with Saddam Hussein than your own Secretary of State for Defense made of his. Well, um, if you ever get a chance to look up the entire speech uh, and questioning that uh, George Galloway undergoes during that uh, that hearing, it's remarkable. Um, I would say that this is a, a kind of a a creme de la creme of, of rants. Um, he is uh, calm. He's rational. Uh, he refutes things in a measured and uh, and believable way. Uh, he turns the tables on Norm Coleman and the committee. Uh, he points out their own um, arrogance and hubris. Uh, and and says just enough to get the point across without being outright rude. But um, you know it's it's communication like that I think that uh, that can be most constructive, especially when uh, we're we're refuting others, uh, when we're um, doing social media and putting the message out there. Um, it's it's respectable. It's powerful, uh, it's effective, and um, and we have to empower ourselves to uh, to communicate in, in just such a way. I think. Um, and one question is how how do we do that? How do we allow ourselves uh, to communicate in such an effective way? And part of that I think is just acknowledging you know what you know. Uh, and and there are people who would seek to perpetrate a lie in order to serve their own ends. Another thing is just being cognizant of your own intent. Uh, that you're not you're not doing this to serve your uh, a beef you have. It's not a personal thing. Uh, it's it's dispensing of knowledge. There are other people who are paying attention. So in effect, you're doing it for them. That uh, the clip that you just played of George Galloway or Gorgeous, Gorgeous George, as he's also called. Um, I, I think that was my first introduction uh, to the man, and I was just so blown away that uh, somebody could be speaking such truth uh, in uh, the U.S. Senate. Like it was just, it was just, it was so awesome to, to see you know him really lay out uh, not just the facts. But you know the the despicable behavior 
of uh, of that committee and and the things that they were accusing him of. I don't I don't think they actually expected him to uh, to show up, but um, I'm glad he did. And uh, you know he has um, a really just a remarkable way of talking. Uh, you know he he employs uh, a lot of eloquence uh, in in his speaking. And, you know, he can take points and, you know, go through each of them. And he does so with a conviction. Um, And I think, um, you know, I think we can learn from that. But we also don't have to expect that we can all be as eloquent as uh, George Galloway, you know. Um, We we really just have to to start. Uh, And, you know, when it's, it's like getting over those inhibitions. Uh, we all have them, and it's not, you know, when when you when you first do something, you're not going to be the best at it, and you know that that might be, you know, one of the programs that we have is, oh, well, I'm not good at that, so I'm not going to do it. But you know, we're not going to be effective as long as we're not doing it. So it's better to, you know, make a to start somewhere and fumble over your words if you have to, um, just put that information out there and do it repeatedly and you know and that that sends a signal to to the universe i think uh and you know and and that's that's the important thing is you know putting that effort in um and you know along the way if we pick up some uh some some useful ways of communicating you know that that's that's all the better and uh that can really only come i think from actually doing it and and the actual practice of it um but one of the interesting things that I think um, Galloway uses is, is uh, you know, re- uh, rhetoric. Now, when we hear that word, I think most people kind of um, flinch because rhetoric is, is typically used uh, to describe political discourse that is manipulative uh, and that is um, you know, unseemly and, you know, it's 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 not you know a useful thing that we want to know really right mm-hmm. but uh traditionally re- rhetoric you know it is it is a form of communication um you know martin luther king and jfk you know they were masters and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily um mean that uh to to manipulate it can be used for manipulation but true rhetoric you know, it it employs um logic and uh, or lo- the, there's the logos and the pathos, and there's one other that I can't remember. Ethos. But ethos. So, you know, the the logos, the logic. Uh, you're you're you have you, you, these rational ideas that you're supposed to support your argument, um, and and you know these uh, these methods they're taught at you know these schools, these Ivory uh, League schools, and you know. Uh, the people in positions of power are given uh, these tools uh, to use against humanity. Well, humanity also needs to learn, you know, these things and and use them to benefit us instead of being used against us. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a that's a you know one thing that you know we can kind of pick up from um, listening to people like uh, Gorgeous George and George. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, and kind of go from there. Um, well said, Jay. Uh, that was very eloquent. 
and and true. Uh, these are these are tools, and um, it seems like you know not to disparage the whole uh, profession of being a lawyer, but how many how many uh, politicians were uh, originally lawyers? Um, how many of them are making use of their assertive and aggressive nature uh, towards um, you know lining their pockets? Uh, getting a power base and uh, and assuming uh, some level of of power to meet their own egos and and their own uh, ideas of themselves and um, you know as we were kind of uh, getting at it at the top of the show um, th- this is a side uh, that many individuals uh, don't um, you know the, the use of rhetoric for instance the use of arguing pers- persuasively uh towards a certain end um they don't employ because it's it's not uh it's not something they've been uh, uh given permission by themselves and by others to to use um so uh excellent points there Shane and I I think uh, a good way to look at uh what part of the problem is well one other story that really got my goat was um, from Mike Huckabee that he was in the news this past week and uh, he was talking about the um, the refugee crisis and uh, I'm sure most know that Mike Huckabee is a conservative Christian and you know he's really he really puts that on his sleeve uh, his Christian values and you know how how great of a Christian he is, and uh, I'm sure people also saw him you know stand uh, arm in arm with uh, Kim Davis, the that uh, county clerk who was uh, basically not doing her job, and um, so he came out talking about the uh, Syrian refugees as you know having these nefarious uh, intentions for. And he was questioning, you know, why they were fleeing. And, you know, he was basically, uh, he didn't really think, he wasn't sure if uh, the Syrians were really fleeing a brutal tyranny uh, or um, the Islamic State militants. And uh, so he says, are they really escaping tyranny? Are they escaping poverty? Or are they just really coming because we've got cable TV? Well, this is exactly what I, was, what I was talking about a moment ago. This guy ran for president, by the way, a few years ago. Uh, the, the guy is in is in such a bubble. Well, he, he's running for president again, too. Is he? Yeah. I, I mean, it, this is it, 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 this is so frighteningly typical of these guys. Uh, are the refugees coming for our cable TV? Um, as if how know, removed from reality. <laughs> Is that to say something like that? Yeah, but I'm glad he said it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he vocalized it's, it. It's 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 good when these idiots you know show who they are and you know it's demeaning and it's it can't be they want a better life. It has to include television. You know, it can't just be a better life. It has right. to include TV or well, life. Period. Yes, it's it's so bizarre. I mean, and even to to use like cable TV as 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 a such such a trivial thing like that, that's that's it's disgusting yeah uh this guy and, and especially since he does present himself as this moral christian 
Yeah, the, who, uh, there's, there's nothing moral in him. I mean, it, there's not there's nothing. Uh, you know, if if the uh, if you could take the positive religious uh, things, um, you know, from Christianity, you know, he, he he doesn't even exemplify any of those. Uh, he exemplifies the you know the lowest of the low, and the thing is, he presents like he has this kind of grandfatherly feel uh, to him. You know, uh, uh, it's uh, it's he kind of reminds me of somebody my my uh, grandparents who were very religious would would have supported just because you know he has that preacher kind of talk and he's gentle and mm-hmm. you know it's it's all a mask like there's nothing inside this guy you know to say something like this it's just so appalling uh, to you know when 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 you look at what the uh, Syrians are facing and to say that, well, are they coming for our cable TV? Like, that, that's just, it's its so over the top. And like you said, Elon, you know, I'm glad he said that just because it is over the top. And, you know, as uh, these psychos say things like this, hopefully more and more people will kind of wake up, oh, oh what, what did he say? Right. You know? So well, you think it would be something? They're coming for our jobs, or they're coming for something right. that's like massively important. But right. no, it's for television. It yeah. completely belittles their suffering yes. and what they're doing, which I think was his intention to divert attention away from their real suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a despicable, mm-hmm. I'd say, human being, but I don't even think he's that <laughs> scumbag. There you despicable go, despicable scumbag. Mm-hmm. I think we have. Uh... I think we have one last uh, clip. Do we not have the Gerald? No, we don't, but we can talk about it. We certainly can. Um, Gerald Salente um, of Future Trends Forecast uh, is a um, an individual who basically um, has spoken quite a bit about uh, social trends and um, uh, the way he think, the way he sees things going in the U.S., and um, very different from most individuals who, you know, kind of describe what we're seeing. Uh, he imbues his uh, his descriptions with quite a bit of emotion. Um, you know, if you get a chance, go to SOT. I see his interview with Lou Rockwell. Uh, it, it's it's another remarkable um, uh, exemplification of a rant that is measured, it's informed by knowledge, uh, it's, it's, it's really brilliant. I mean, he describes our leaders as children, and when he does, uh, he says so in such a way that uh, reflects an understanding of what a child really is, uh, and he's correct. Um, and uh, as George Galloway would say, you know, he was being charitable. Uh, but he also calls a spade a spade and, and describes individuals who are in power as psychopaths, as what they are, because uh, that's what they are. Uh, he's not afraid to say it. He's got a big following. The guy's been on Oprah, for God's sakes, CNN, other places. And, um, and you know, thank goodness, uh, you know, it's inspiring, really. Um, and, and that's the other reason why we played the George Galloway uh, clip a little earlier. Because uh, there, there are, uh, I mean, maybe it won't be a cable TV for most of us. It won't be before some kind of a congressional hearing for most of us. Uh, it won't even be on a radio show for most of us. Um, 
but uh, there is an audience out there. Uh, there are people that can be communicated to. Um, you know, let these people inspire you. Uh, let them be a reminder of of uh, people, human beings, real human beings, who have conscience, who see what's wrong in the world, uh, who would like to make corrections, who would like to share what they see with other people, um, and uh, and it'll it'll get into your system. It'll it'll come out in some way or another when you're not realizing it or, or focused on it. Um, and you just want to be aware of yourself and who you're talking to when you do. And uh, it, it's got a lot of potential for for uh, kind of shifting things, I think, uh, in a way that uh, can't be measured uh, when we're doing it. Um, but uh, but the hope is, and and really we've seen demonstrations of this. I mean, SOT has been, you know, this one kind of alternative website has been writing about and sharing articles about uh, psychopathy for several years now. It has made a difference. Um, People are beginning to get a clue. Uh, There are journalists who a few years ago weren't talking about this who are now incorporating it into their descriptions of what they see. Uh, And, um, you know, but, but that doesn't mean we can just stop and be contented. It has to continue. It's got to be worked on. It's got to be repeated. It's got to be shared. Uh, it's got to be communicated. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, every so often, if it isn't too terribly uncomfortable, it's okay to feel outraged and saddened and upset about what we're seeing and feeling and, and acknowledge it as, as correct, because it is correct. Uh, even if, you know, the messages we're getting from around us are telling us it's not. Um, and sharing it with others, I think, is important because, you know, Galloway, even that woman that we played a clip from, it is inspiring to hear somebody um, outraged at what they see. I mean, it inspires others, I think. And so I think talking about it, too, is just as important as acknowledging we feel that way, you know, sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about sharing it with other people, you know, we're not also we're not necessarily suggesting just to you know go next door to your Bundy uh, neighbor <laughs> and say and start raging at them about you know what's going on in the world. Um, you know, we are talking about a, a specific context, and you know, particularly uh, you know where, like on social media, um, if you come to the SOP page and make comments there. Uh, you know, there are avenues where you can express these things uh, that isn't necessarily going to be like uh, throwing, was it, pearls to swine, mm-hmm. you know, type thing. Um, so, you know, it, I think that element is important, too. You know, we also, um, you know, want to know our audience. And, um, you know, if if you are, you know, in that, get it butting heads with, um, you know, some fundy type, like you know, that's not necessarily the the most productive thing. Um, but if you if you make a space, uh, you know, if you have a blog, uh, you can make videos. Uh, you know, there are these avenues that are uh, that are really needed uh, for for us to you know kind of come together and and to, and rage about this stuff, rant about this stuff. Um, You're gonna call a spade a spade. Well, yeah, there's not enough people doing that. 
um, on that. But I had one other news rant piece too uh, from Israel. Now we were just talking about Huckabee, and you know it's useful to you know for them to uh, or to see how you know these idiots set the path are kind of exposing themselves. Uh, but on a more serious uh, level, um, uh, Netanyahu, he's been in the news in the past couple of weeks trying to get this uh, this thing passed uh, where Israel would be allowed to uh, shoot uh, Palestinians who throw rocks. And so this thing uh, was just approved. So now Israel uh, can have uh you know these snipers take out Palestinian children who are throwing rocks and you know label them as enemy combats uh it's just you know to to take something like you know a child who has nothing you know to uh, at their disposal but to throw rocks you know it, it's it's a completely harmless uh, thing and and to to kill them over it. We're expressing outrage at being occupied. Well, what I'm wondering is, I mean, you know, it's no uh, it's no secret among many people who aren't uh, kind of brainwashed by uh, the major media that Israel's been and the IDF has been doing this for a long time anyway. Um, you know, in, in the attack of Gaza last summer. Uh, Soldiers were instructed to shoot anything that moved in a certain vicinity, regardless of whether or not they were soldiers. If they move, shoot them, and and they were permitted to. How many stories have we heard about uh, the Israeli police uh, shooting children? Uh, apropos of nothing. So uh, Obama, uh, rather Netanyahu, same difference, uh, <laughs> saying this um, is just like okay, you know. It's it's open day on uh, on Palestinians who are resisting. Um, it's just another scare tactic. I'm sure he feels like he's on the ropes with uh, with the acknowledgement uh, of France and other nations have been um, moving towards of, of Palestine, of uh, of possible um, uh, events happening in the the world uh, um, court. Of, uh, of of crimes against humanity uh, that that's that the um, Palestinian Authority is is ready to levy against Israel. Uh, so he's basically saying, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to be an even bigger psychopath. I, now I'm going to make it official, I, it, as if it's not already an unspoken kind of uh, uh, rule that it's okay to do these things." So uh, he's going to get his one day. Um, and uh, it's a it's a sad state of affairs for the Palestinians, um, and uh, you know we can only hope that that there's as little suffering as possible going forward, uh, because uh, you know with the leadership of of Netanyahu and his and his crew, it's it's just bad news. Well, you know the thought that you know he will get his one day. You know, hopefully he will, but even if he does, um, you know, that, that really doesn't even... Um, it can't balance things out. It doesn't balance things out for, 
you know, all the, the Palestinians who are um, undergoing this immense, immense suffering. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's these creatures in power and, you know, it's at their hands. And, you know, there's, it's like, you know, what, what can, what can a normal person do in, in the face of this, just this monstrous evil? And, you know, it doesn't necessarily, um, yeah, sometimes it does feel like, you know, there's nothing that we can do. And sometimes it does feel, you know, really hopeless. And I think it's okay to talk about that uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, just, um, yeah, continuing to, to talk about it and to really expose, you know, the the just the inhumanity and the essence of these uh, these vile creatures, um, you know, that's that's why it is so important because the Palestinians don't have an outlet. Um, like you were saying, Meg, you know, they can't even express, you know, the rage that they feel, the outrage that they feel. So by throwing a rock, mm-hmm. and that's almost harmless, so close to being harmless. And they aren't allowed to express. That's how. That's what the article talks about. Is that that's the way that governments, you know, suppress people. They don't get to express their outrage. I mean, it, it's contagious. What if you had, you know, ten thousand Palestinian children throwing rocks at one soldier? I mean, it's contagious. I mean, it prevents uprisings. It prevents uh, rebellions. It prevents people from coming together and st- taking a stand. Well, we're we're kind of dumbed down on. On two levels, we're done down on the the perpetrators, the, the authoritarian psychopaths that are in control. We we feel like we're, you know, either ineffective or we can't do anything about what they're doing. But we also have this kind of, um, you know, unfeeling bias against the the people who are suffering under that. We're we're all kind of squeezed into the middle, but. We are more than they are. There are more of us. There, there, there has to be some kind of will and determination going forward. You know that that we can feel powerful about. We don't feel powerful right now. And and the challenge is that you know we have to be the strongest human beings that we can possibly be. We have to come from that place inside ourselves that tells us what is right, what is wrong, and go after it. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yes. So say we all. So say we all. So, so say, say we all. all. Did we have any more stories? Um, well, I think um, you know we have been ranting, and you know that that has its places as we've been discussing. Um, but I would like to rave <laughs> a little bit. Is it about Putin? It is about Putin. Woo! I mean, how nice is it to have something to rave about? <laughs> there you go. Like, you know, in this, in these uh, despicable times, you have an actual human being on the world scene doing some pretty incredible stuff. Uh, brilliant stuff. Too. Brilliant. It, it is. It, you know, I'm continually uh, impressed by this man and uh, the the team of people that he you know surrounds himself with. They're so smart and so strategic. I mean, with uh, this latest move uh, in supporting Syria against ISIS, 
like that's it's, it's done. I, I think it's uh, I think we've yet to see uh, the ripple effects. And you know, while I doubt that it's going to completely counter the machine of that is NATO and you know the United States and you know this is Islamophobia. I think it is a uh, extremely big thing that has the potential to, you know, uh, wake some people up in in terms of, you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, what the what the truth and lies are. Um essentially Putin has um he's he's kind of used this rhetorical device but in action. You know, there there's a there's this one uh, rhetorical device I, I don't remember the exact name but it's uh you you basically form this uh can't we all agree on such and such so can't we all agree that ISIS is a terrorist organization that you know needs to be defeated and you know who's going to disagree with that right um i mean the united states can can do a lot of backhand and underhanded things uh, but they have to, you know, on some level say, well, yeah, we, we have to kind of agree with that. And, um, you know, so it's it's positioned Russia in uh, this leadership role where other countries, you know, are, are joining forces because, you know, now in, in Europe with the refugee crisis, um, you know, it, it presents uh, some serious um, issues for them. And uh, countries like Germany, you know, this past week came out in support of uh, Russia and uh, this uh, Russian-led coalition against ISIS because they know that it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that the United States-led coalition is, is a bunch of crap. And that you know they're not doing anything you know about it. So they know that this issue does need to be taken care of. Um, and you know this whole uh, this whole thing where that it's, it's like a, a window has kind of been uh, been opened where uh, Russia sees that you know okay this is something that you know we can get people to agree on on the surface. You know, we don't need to necessarily go into all the uh, hidden machinations of the United States. Uh, although, you know, like I said earlier in the show, you know, um, Lavrov did come out and had, um, you know, the U.S. isn't bombing uh, the positions that it knows ISIS is at. Uh, so they can, you know, they can come, I think, pretty close. But, you know, really this, this surface... Um, a uh, thing where the United States says that uh, it's against terrorism and it's going to fight terrorism. Well, Russia is actually fighting terrorism, and <clears throat> excuse me, and and it it's it's like this window that opens that allows others to to join in. So it, it's just a, it's just a masterful move on on Putin's part, and you know it it opens the doors to for people to see who Putin really is, uh, who Russia really is. I mean, if they do have uh, some success, which I, I do think they will. I mean, Syria just um, started bombing uh, ISIS. And, you know, so it's, it's, I think it's, it's, uh, it could be a potential turning point 
um, in you know this this uh, <laughs> supposed war on terror to an actual you know uh, defeating of um, you know these these uh, United States lackeys, who they, which is what they really are. Um, so I, I, it's just encouraging. You know, I, I don't know what the scope of it will be yet. Um, but I think there are some, some, some real possibilities there and, um, just kind of warms my heart. (laughs) I liked to the uh, exceptional bit of trolling that the Kremlin did with Cameron. I thought that was just brilliant. Uh, Yeah. The, uh, the UK, uh, or the Russian embassy in the UK. Yeah. Russian embassy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, so if anybody hasn't seen it, the, um, Cameron, he he made, he created this tweet saying that the Labour Party is a threat to uh, national security and even your family, <laughs> and like you know he's, he's calling the opposition like a threat to national security and like brings it down to the threat and the safety of your family like how how laughable and ridiculous is that and so the the embassy uh, had a tweet well you know saying. Well, imagine if uh, the Russian president had said something like that. You know, how would how would your media respond? And you know, that was just so on key. Like that's 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 exactly uh, that's exactly to the point. And uh, so good for good for the Russian embassy in the UK. Right on. And good good for Putin uh, for changing his his tenor. Uh, you know, um, what most people don't get in the U.S. is that. Uh, the guy doesn't want conflict. The guy doesn't want war. When he's when he's called or referred to uh, U.S. leadership as his partners, I mean, this was a certain amount of faith that he's put into the good intentions of Western leaders. He's since changed that tone. He's since uh, started saying so-called partners or geopolitical opposition. Uh, in any case, um, yeah, I think those are some spot-on observations, Shane. And uh, on that note, uh, that's going to bring it to a close uh, this week for the Truth Perspective. Uh, we want to thank our callers, Brent and Joe, uh, our chatters, and you, our listeners, for tuning in and uh, and sharing this time with us. Um, and uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow for uh, Behind the Headlines and next week for the health and wellness show on Friday. So until well, until then rather, be safe, be strong, be wise, and goodbye everybody. Bye. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening.